little journey to the big city. Yep. Uh, kind of nervous. <laughs> Leon says New York is pretty different. Oh, don't pay attention to Leon. He's never been anywhere. He doesn't have any feet. I've been to New York thousands of times. Really? What's it like? Well, there are some things you should know. First off, you see gum on the street, leave it there. It's not free candy. Second, there are like 30 raised pizzas. They all claim to be the original, but the real one's on 11th. Can't wait to see my dad. We're we're gonna go ice skating and, and eat sugar plums. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, buddy, your father, well, he's on the naughty list. No! You're taking the books back? (laughs) See, I I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to make me feel bad when, in actuality, you're the one that missed the payments. But the children love the books. I know that, uh, you know, I'm the one that ran the focus groups, but I like hearing that. Listen, some people, they just lose sight of what's important in life. That doesn't mean they can't find their way again, huh? Maybe all they need is just a little Christmas spirit. I'm good at that. I know you are. So good. Merry Christmas, everybody. Mm. Well, tonight we begin our Christmas series for the year, Scent. And uh, one of the the rhythms that we have is every couple of years, we uh, utilize our Christmas series to dive into a Christmas story and draw inspiration from that space. And so with that in mind, this year, we're drawing inspiration from Elf. Hence why you can take a picture at the photo booth with a sign that says world's best cup of coffee over there. Um, And uh, you got some New York City pecans outside. Like, Like, guys, we... The idea that uh, the story that is Elf brings us in the space of thinking about what matters, what is important, what's of value. Now, in that clip we just watched, uh, we get a sense of, of exactly that, as, of what is of value to, um, to Buddy and to his dad. Right, And you saw the reaction that Buddy has to the realization that his dad, who he hasn't met yet, is on the naughty list. He is beside himself. He is, he is in pain because his dad's on the naughty list. It's a big deal to Buddy. Now, his dad doesn't seem very concerned in the position he's in, though, right? Like, he seems, he seems fine. In fact, he takes pride in, in, in his achievements. And he's already talking about, like, I like to hear that I, I run the focus groups. Like he, he, you can like sense the pride that he has, that he knows the facts, that he does his job and he seems to do it fairly well. He makes money. He is achieving success according to the definition of success in the world he lives in. But for Buddy, success is not the naughty list. It's the nice list. So Buddy is deeply disturbed because he was raised in a vastly different culture than the dog-eat-dog world of New York City. He was raised in a different culture with a different value system, with different dreams and different desires. 
One where Christmas spirit is rooted so deeply into everything that he has learned up till that point in his life. Where there is such value on the nice list and such sorrow on the naughty list. So it totally makes sense why Buddy and his dad have two such radically different understandings of the position that his dad finds himself in. But apparently... The dad isn't the only one who is, in, who is in this space of lacking Christmas spirit because Buddy eventually does make his way to New York City um, across the Candy Cane Forest and he begins to bring Christmas spirit to his dad and to an entire world. And in that moment, what you start noticing is just how contradictory the world that Buddy existed in and the world of New York City truly are. So with that, let's show another clip so you can watch and witness. Don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven? You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be shining your umbrella is up, 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 upside down and trading for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni! If you want the thing you love... You did it! Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. Now come over here, boy. Sam. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's clapping in? I love about if you've watched uh, the on Netflix the Christmas movies that made us. I'm sure you guys have watched that. It's so good. But one of the things it talks about is that that scene was completely ad lib. Is Will Ferrell just walking down the street? They're like, "That'll be funny," and then they just went for it and just kept shooting stuff. So like all that was just 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 going for it. Uh, I I think it's so funny. Um, train of thought. Train of thought. Okay. Now. At this point, if this is your first gathering with us, you're likely thinking, wow, this guy's really overthinking the movie Elf. Maybe, maybe. But hang with us for a second. Let's see if we can extract some beauty out of this together. Because see, in that scene, everyone else seems to be doing fine. They're not exuding Christmas spirit, but they all seem to think that they're doing fine. But then Buddy bounces onto the stage with this conflicting message, this conflicting way of doing life that exposes 
a very big dichotomy between his dad and the city of New York and the Christmas spirit, the Christmas joy that Buddy brings everywhere he goes. Now, when we look around our world, when we look at our own hearts, do we see, do we see this profound need in within us? I'm not just talking about a Christmas spirit. Something, this profound need that goes deeper than um, anything that just mere sentiment in the holiday season can touch. Something that even uh, the warm fuzzies of when you're getting to go and hang out in the parks with friends and family, it doesn't get to. This need that is so deep that it even bypasses beyond the temporary feeling of peace that you might experience when you're jamming out to your favorite worship song. Do you feel that? Do you see that? Now, as we look into the scriptures tonight, what we're going to look for and discover is, is there a joy that calls us out of darkness into a truly marvelous light? So for this, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 8 tonight. And in, in John's gospel account, what we are going to discover starting in verse one, is an event that happened right after Jesus, um, how it kind of begins, that Jesus has been on the process of ministry and he wakes up super early in the morning. He goes up to the Mount of Olives, presumably to go spend time uh, with the Father. And as he is with the Father, it says that early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Now the temple was the place of learning and worship. And that is where Jesus as a rabbi would often go whenever he was in the city of Jerusalem. Now all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. So there's a first group of people, these people who are genuinely there because they want to hear from Jesus. They want to hear from the rabbi. They want to hear what he has to say and what he is teaching. And then there's a secondary group. The scribes and the Pharisees, they bring a woman who has been caught in adultery and they place her in the midst of the gathering. And instead of their desire to be taught, what they want to do is they want to kind of like teach Jesus a lesson. And so they say to him, Rabbi, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in Torah, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus, without missing a step, bends down and begins to write with the singer on the ground. And you can like kind of sense their frustration mounting, right? Like if you're ever trying to have a conversation with somebody and they're looking down at their phone, you're like, up, eyes, up here, look, <laughs> what are you doing? And once again, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So he rises up from his feet and he says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he responds, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? 
When we sit in a story, I mean, you've heard that story probably a time or two, I would imagine, right? But yet the power of that moment couldn't be underestimated. The power that in one moment, these self-righteous individuals who have come to accuse, who have come to trap Jesus, Jesus afflicts them. And in the same moment, the woman who is clearly living in a sinful way of life, Jesus draws her near. In one moment, he illuminates the Pharisees' own desperate need. And in the same moment, he illuminates a way towards wholeness and healing for this woman who has been living apart from God. Now, Jesus goes on to go back to teaching. And he gives commentary into what has just transpired. Verse 12. So again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. In the first clip with um, Buddy and Santa, there's this part towards the end of the clip, right? Where Santa says to Buddy uh, that kind of everyone can lose their way sometimes. Sometimes all they need is to be brought back on. Sometimes all they need is a little Christmas spirit. And Buddy's response is, well, I'm good at that. Santa says, I know you are, Buddy. See, Buddy has a gift Christmas spirit. And he is prepared now to not just go find his dad, but to bring Christmas spirit to his dad. And in doing so, he's going to bring it to the entirety of New York City. He has this contagious Christmas spirit. And as you watch the movie, you continue to notice just how contagious the Christmas spirit seems to be as it's like invading everywhere they go. Even though the world around him, just like we saw in the clip, doesn't seem to acknowledge that there's really a problem. Yet, when Buddy arrives on the scene, he sees just the genuine lack of Christmas spirit and he just goes about, kind of like a knucklehead, but he goes about going, that, this isn't the way that it is in the North Pole. So what does that look like? How do I bring the North Pole into this reality? And he starts doing it. Now, we watch the scene of Buddy beginning to explore the city for the first time and we laugh at it, right? Why do we laugh at it? Because it's silly. If you saw that happening, you would think something was up, right? Like, like that, it, it's funny. People don't, I, I, when you go to New York City, people aren't often hopscotching across Fifth Avenue unless they're mimicking Buddy the Elf now, right? Like, you're, you're, they're not just going under and picking up the gum under. Uh, you, you don't go, oh, I love being in New York City. I know what I need to do. Go around a revolving door a bunch of times, right? Like, like, that's not what we do here. But that is what you probably do in the North Pole. Remember, Buddy wasn't looked down upon in the North Pole because he was a knucklehead. He was looked down upon because he was too human. He was pitied because he was too human in an elf world. He was slow. It's not because of those things. In fact, if the other elves would have seen him do those things, they'd be like, yeah, makes sense. Absolutely, you spin around in circles because that's what we do in the North Pole. We do silly things like that. 
But Buddy is the one who is good at that. He is good at bringing Christmas spirit. So he begins to fan the flame from the moment that he passes through the Lincoln Tunnel, right? Hold on to that thought. In the book of John, Jesus seven times is recorded using I am phrases. Now, this is not by accident. Jesus would say, I am, and then he would fill in the blank. And he would say something intrinsically true to the deepest core of who he is. Now, in the scriptures, the number seven is repeated to mark completion or wholeness. For example, the seven days of creation in Genesis. And then, and then in Exodus, God has a conversation with Moses. And Moses is supposed to go to Egypt and go and confront Pharaoh and go and seek freedom for the Israelites. And Moses is talking to God and, and he says, who am I supposed to say has sent me? And, and God says, I am has sent you or Ehweh has sent you. So tell them Yahweh or he is has sent you. Now that's an odd name for oneself, right? But what was God doing in that? What he is saying is that is who I am. I, I, I don't need an introduction. I don't need, there's no before me. There is no characteristics. I am. And because I am, I, there's nothing more solid to the foundation of the cosmos than me. I am. So when somebody said those words, it was a big deal. So when Jesus begins using time and time and time again, I am. And then he would go. You think some of his hearers, their little flags went up? Probably, right? So again, listen to this passage. So Jesus spoke to them and he said, I am. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is not a light in the world. He's not. It's not like a Christmas tree where there's just like a plethora of lights on the Christmas tree or even a star, like one bigger star than all the other, than all the other lights. No, he is the light of the world. Light also isn't just the characteristic of him. It's not like just one of the many facets of Jesus happens to be light. Jesus is literally the light of the world. Now, here's why that distinction matters. When Buddy says that he is good at that thing, at bringing Christmas spirit, what he is saying is, I have received the skill set of Christmas spirit, the mindset, the worldview of Christmas spirit. And so because I have been equipped with Christmas spirit, I can take Christmas spirit and I can take it into the world and disseminate that and, and hopefully help my father get off of the nice list, off of the naughty list, onto the nice list. That's what he means by, I'm good at that. I've been made good at that. But Jesus was raised among flawed humans in a darkened world. You think he learned how to be the light of the world here? He, he wasn't equipped with being light. He wasn't equipped with any part of light. He is. He said, I am. He didn't get equipped. He is. He is. 
You see, life, light, and freedom aren't just realities that Jesus brings into the story of humanity. They're not just skill sets that Jesus developed during his time here. They are who he is. And in the season of gift giving, it's important to understand this concept if we're going, because it is so vital to each of our relationships with Jesus. Here's why. My prayer life oftentimes consists of requests to God, which is fair. He says, bring them. But what oftentimes I want from God are gifts from him. I give him my, my Christmas list, right? Like I, I, I want, God, I, I need peace. I need patience. I need joy. Would you help me to be more kind at work? Would you give, would you provide for me? Would you give me confidence? Aren't those the kind of things that we normally pray, right? I'm not alone, right? Like we, we make requests to God. Then I was, I was confronted though recently by an account by Watchman Nee, who is a pastor in China um, and passed away in the 50s. And he, was, and he recorded one of his books about when he was traveling through the United States, staying at this couple's home. And as he's staying in this family's home, uh, they asked him to pray for them because they've been having trouble with their kids. Uh, they've been so easily irritated by the children. And so they said, during the past few weeks, we've both lost our temper so many times. We are really dishonoring the Lord. Will you ask him to give us patience? Fair request, right? What do you do in that moment? Absolutely, let me pray for you, right? Like, like that would be normal. But he said, this is the one thing I cannot do awkward. What do you mean? They say, I mean, one thing is certain. And that is that God is not going to answer your prayer. (laughs) They stood in amazement. Do you mean to tell us that we have gone so far that God is not willing to hear us when we ask him to make us patient? And he said, no, I don't mean quite that. But I would like to ask you if you've ever prayed that before. Yes, you have. But did God answer? No. Do you know why? Because you have no need of patience. At this point, the wife's eyes lit up and she said, what do you mean? We do not need patience. And yet we get irritated every single day. (laughs) It is not patience you have need of. It is Christ. Now, he's not over-spiritualizing it. He explains, God will not give me humility or patience or holiness or love as separate gifts of his grace. He is not a retailer dispensing grace to us in doses, measuring out some patience to the impatient, some love to the unloving, some meekness to the proud, and quantities that we take and work on is some kind of capital. He has given us only one gift to meet all our need. His son, Christ Jesus. And as I look to him to live out his life in me, he will be humble and patient and loving in everything else I need. He goes on to quote uh, 1 John 5, God gave unto us eternal life and this life is his, is his son. He that hath the son hath the life and he that hath not the son of God hath not the life. The life of God is not given to us as a separate item. The life of God is given to us in the Son. It is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our relationship to the Son is our relationship to the life. See, Jesus didn't come into the world just to bring light. He is light. And because he came, darkness flees. Jesus didn't come into the world just to bring life. He is the life. And because he has come, death has been undone. Jesus didn't come into the world just to usher in freedom. He is freedom. And because he came, the chains of sin have been untethered. I don't know what you've been praying for. Patience, endurance, rest, purity, humility. I fill in the blank. We have a lot of needs, y'all. And I'm not saying that you should stop praying. Or the things we're praying for are often bad. But our prayers can so often be focused on the gift when what we need, what our truest gift is, is the giver. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. You see, it's, this is contingent on our relationship with the giver. Do you see why this is commentary to what had just happened with the woman who was caught in adultery? Because what Jesus wasn't saying to her is, all right, I forgave you this time. Get it together now. What he was saying is, you have just encountered the light of life. You've just witnessed the light of the world. Darkness has been undone. Go. Go. The darkness has been undone. Follow me. Because you see, it's our proximity to the one who that is light allows us to live in the light. Finish this statement. Apart from him, we can do. But if we are drawing near to him, if we abide with him, then what we are going to do is we are going to discover that he really is that good. See, he, he like buddy, is good at that. But it's not because he was equipped to be good at that. It's because he is. It's because he says, I am. And because he is, all bets are off, y'all. Not because he learned to be, but because he is. He is life. He is freedom. He is the light of the world. Now, here's the thing. I mean, fear of the dark, isn't that kind of like one of the most basic of fears in like ever, right? I mean, when I was a kid, I slept with a light on in my room until I literally don't remember when I stopped, okay? Now I, I don't. Um, <laughs> but I like... Thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> Sorry if any of you still do. Okay. Um, see, the reason you have a nightlight is because it exposes your surroundings, right? See, I was, I, I knew that by having the light on in my room as a kid, that if a ninja attacked or uh, Chucky or the creepy girl from the, the, the grudge um, were to... My parents let me watch things I really shouldn't have been watching at the time. Not age appropriate in any conceivable way, right? Yeah, we all agree. 
Yeah. Okay. Keep going. All right. But what I knew was that if those if those beings were to attack me by seeing the room in its entirety, I'd be able to put up the best fight I could, or at the very least, let out a yelp before it happened. Right? Like, because light gives clarity. See, darkness hides our circumstances, both the good and the bad. You see, in Jesus, it's not that Jesus just offers us a solution from being afraid. It's that he is the light of the world. So be not afraid. You see the difference? It's not Jesus make it better. Jesus do this. It's I'm with Jesus. So I don't walk in the darkness anymore. And, and when, I, when, when I and you inevitably start straying back into dark spaces, just walk back close to the light. He's the light of the world. He isn't changing. He says, I am the light of the world. It's us that walk in darkness. But if we're with him, we don't walk in darkness. We walk with light. He doesn't just give us a thing. He gives us himself. He is the gift of Christmas. He is the light that casts out the darkness. So when we follow him, as we draw near to him, we can trust that we walk with the one who is by his very nature light. I remember being a kid on Christmas morning, opening up presents. And I can't, I can't remember a single Christmas where, uh, where I was looking at my parents and my focus was on expressing deep gratitude the entire time. My focus was on what I was getting or not getting. But see, when we understand that the giver is the gift, the relationship changes. He's not our cosmic Coke machine. We put in our good works, our amount of faith and out pops our desired results. He's everything. He is the light. And we just want to be with the light. See, each day is filled with opportunities to experience the one who was sent as light into our world. The one who's actually good at that. He brings illumination to our hearts and to our minds and to our desires. He's the one who illuminates both what is broken, but he also provides the path to healing. Isn't that cool? That's what light does, right? Is it exposes the good and the bad. It calls out what is broken, but it gives path towards what is redeemed. And then we become active participants in his story. Isn't that crazy? That because he is light and we hang out with light, we now are carriers of light into a darkened world. That we can go into our work locations and homes and world because we have experienced the light of the world, the light of life, King Jesus. So that's my hope. That's, that's the encouragement for us as we continue on in this Christmas season. In a season, literally winter, where it is at its most dark. What a brilliant reminder to remember that when the world is most dark, we look to the one who brings light. Now I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And what I'd love for the rest of us to do is to put your hands out in front of you and just close your eyes. What I'd love for you to do is, let's just take a couple moments 
to just talk with the Father. The great I am. Our Yahweh. The one who is. And because he is, we have hope for tomorrow. So let's just take a moment and and bring to him whatever is on your heart, on your mind right now. Father, we bring to you our everything. And when we don't, help us. Help us to do that. Because there's a lot going on in our lives right now. I know that in this room there is grieving happening. There's anxieties, there's pain, there's suffering, there's trauma. There's joys, there's celebrations, there's new jobs, there's ways that you have provided. There is new life. In this now and not yet reality and world we live in, where the kingdom has come, but it is not yet here. Where death has been undone and light has been brought, Because 2,000 years ago, our Messiah has come. In humility and in meekness, He came to draw us back home. He came to take the step that we couldn't take. He came to give us the breath of life when we were dead in the sins and trespasses in which we walked. So Lord, speak to us and help us to desire you. Would you change the appetites of our hearts and our affections to long for you? Because only in you is our satisfaction. Lord, thank you. Because you are not just the giver of a gift. You have given us yourself as the gift. So we praise you. We praise you. We praise Jesus because he has come, our king, our eternal one, our rabbi, our savior, to redeem and restore what is broken inside and to lead us into the path of life and light and freedom. And it's in Jesus' matchless and powerful name we pray. Amen.